Good morning. It is a delight to be here with you this morning. As always, we are thankful for your presence and thankful for the opportunity afforded to us by the God of heaven, who is always so gracious and good, benevolent in all of his ways toward us, giving us this privilege and opportunity to worship him. We are in uh, the beginning stages of a series of thoughts and sermons on the subject of faith. And to establish faith, it is the case that God wants us to have faith in him. He, he wants that, and he has provided the means for us to establish faith. In fact, God has given us two things to move us to faith. The first thing that God has given us is his world. We are to reason from the creation, from the world that's here, the one that we see with our eyes. We're to reason from what's here backward to the one who made it. Every person who has ever been born or will be born into this world is born into a world that's already present. In fact, Adam woke up to the world. God made the world. In five days, he created, and then on day six, he made man. Everybody does that, and that is by design. God expects us, in some sense then, for us all to be scientists. The concept of investigation to originate and to come to a conclusion, that's of God. God did that. To come to a system already in operation and to begin to ask questions of how and who and what and when to perform research. It's now called the scientific model or the scientific method. Well, the idea that's behind that actually comes from God. God wants us to perform research. He wants us to ask questions. He wants us to do our test and come to hypothesis, make observations, draw conclusions, and ultimately present our findings. God wants us to do that with the creation. Now, it's important to note that your conclusion when you do this won't determine the existence of the universe because the world was here before you started your process. However, your conclusion will determine whether or not you are a fool or whether or not you're wise. God says in Psalm 14, 1, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. On the other hand, Proverbs 1 and verse number 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. It is the case that God wants you to investigate and then come to a conclusion about him. Scripture is full of this exhortation to investigate. In Acts chapter 14, the apostle Paul and Barnabas, there they are attempting to be worshipped. They stop the individuals who are idolatrous and don't know God, and they tell them that God that made the world, he did that, and he didn't leave himself without witness so that men would know him and not do what they were attempting to do. Psalm 19 and verse number 1, the Bible says, The heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament showeth his handiwork. If you were to continue to read this psalm, the Bible will actually personify creation. It will give it life, animation, and a voice. And it will say that day after day they utter speech, 
Night unto night they show wisdom. He's talking about the creation speaking to humanity, ultimately saying God made it. That's the way we're supposed to reason. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 3, the Hebrew writer says that the things that are seen were made by that which does not appear. We are supposed to reason that way. Now, it could be the case that somebody says, well, I've done that, and I believe in a higher power. I believe that there are gods out there. Clearly, so, but listen, it's more than that. It's not that God wants you to use the creation and come to some random conclusion about a higher power, not idolatry or mythology, rather a very specific God, the God of heaven and earth, the creator of all things. That's what creation points us back to. The Godhead is how Scripture refers to it. Notice a few passages with me. Notice uh, Romans chapter 1. And what the Apostle Paul says there, with regards to creation, in verse number uh, 19, Paul says, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and divine nature, some renderings, King James will say, Godhead. Notice the divine nature, his eternal power are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made so that they are without excuse. Creation points us back to a very specific being, the divine nature, the Godhead. You'll notice the same thing in Acts chapter 17, where the same word is used by the Apostle Paul as he stands again among individuals who believe in God's believe in different things to worship. Paul says, I notice that your inscriptions, I see that you're very religious or superstitious. He says, but you are ignorantly worshiping someone, and that's the God I want to tell you about. Well, what Paul does next is talk about creation and that God. That's the point. You'll notice verse number 24 or verse 23, he says, while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found this inscription to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, that's the one I proclaim to you. Notice his first point. God who made the world and all things in it. Down in verse number 29, he says, being therefore children of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature, the Godhead is made of silver and gold. That's the God that creation points us back to. Not some random belief in quote unquote some higher power, but the very divine nature of heaven and earth, creator, giver, sustainer of life. You'll find this same word in Colossians 2 and verse number 9. It's not a matter of number, it's a matter of nature. Where Paul will write concerning our Lord, in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead, the divine nature, bodily. This God is eternal, all-powerful, all-present, all-knowing, absolutely perfect and holy and just and right. That's the God that creation points us back to. God gave his world to evoke faith that he is. And what he's calling upon us to do is believe that based on the creation as evidence. 
He expects that you and I will consider the size of the universe, the complexity of it, the accuracy of it, the organization of it, the movement, the reliability, the design. Do your research and ask your questions. How and who and what and when. Draw your conclusions and present your findings. In fact, if you haven't, you should. Check the stars and their distance. Count the number of stars. Consider the size and scale and complexity of the universe and include yourself in your search because you're part of the creation. Your intelligence, the complexity of your systems, DNA. The Bible says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You're a lot of things, but an animal is not one of them. You, creation, it's determined or designed to, for you to come to faith that God is. But then secondly, God gave us his word to evoke faith. And it has within it the same expectation that you and I will search the scriptures, John 5, 38 and 39. That you and I will give diligence to study, to show ourselves approved, 2 Timothy 2, 15 to 19 that we will be like the Bereans and that we will receive the word with all readiness of mind. Paul would say to those Thessalonians that you received it as it is, the word of God and not the word of men. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, it claims to be inspired. All of it, all scripture is inspired of God. 2 Peter 1, 14 to 21, we've not followed cunningly devised fables, Peter says, Knowing this, that no prophecy of the Scriptures of any private interpretation, holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Ask questions, how and who and what and when. Perform your research. Establish your hypothesis. Do your own research. Is the Scripture the inspired Word of God? Does it bear the marks of inspiration, the accuracy of Scripture, the pre-scientific knowledge of Scripture, prophecy, and its fulfillment, the unity of Scripture, the history of Scripture. Scripture makes the claims that it is God's Word. And if trusted and followed, Scripture will lead us to faith in God's character. We first have to draw the conclusion that He is, and then secondly, we have to draw the conclusion that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him, that God is good and loving and kind and merciful, and that God ultimately is trustworthy. Now, why tell you all of that? I thought we were discussing faith. We are. Because by the time we are discussing faith as it relates to salvation, it is assumed, though not always correctly, that you have already done these first two things. It's assumed that you believe there's a God in heaven and not just a random higher power, but the God of heaven. It's assumed that you believe that by the time we're talking about salvation. It's assumed that you believe in the inspiration of the Scriptures and that if God said it, that settles it. If you didn't um, participate or watch our Bible class this morning in the auditorium, you should go back and do that and that class in general. It is a, a wonderful uh, a study about evidences and, and you, should come, you should come to your own conclusions relative, but you should go do the research. By the time we come to the belief that the inspiration is the Word of God, a lot of the things that people question are settled. And they're settled precisely because God said them, if it's the Word of God. Now, a lot of the questions that people struggle with is they haven't come to that conclusion. 
if God is in heaven, and if the Scripture is the inspired Word of God, well, then the subject that we're discussing as it relates to salvation is the most important discussion we can have. On the other hand, if there is no God, and the Bible is not His Word, then what are we talking about? Not only is this sermon meaningless, every sermon in the world would be meaningless. What would be the point of talking about saving your soul if there is no God who gave you a soul? What would be the point of talking about saving your soul if you couldn't even trust the Scripture that teaches you there's a heaven and a hell in the first place? Every other thing is meaningless if those first two things aren't true. But if they are true, and they are, then this becomes the most important subject anybody can have because this determines your eternal destiny. The things that God requires of men are not natural. When we come to the subject of faith, God wants us to believe Him. In order to get us to do that, He has to evidence His power. In accomplishing that, He constantly asks us to trust things we would never come up with. We would never originate. And this dynamic accomplishes three things for God. Number one, it clearly sets forth the idea that we didn't originate the idea. That whatever is discussed, man didn't come up with that because that's not how we would have tried to accomplish it. Number two, it demonstrates that the person really does trust God for there could be no one else to trust to accomplish what's in question. And then thirdly, it distinguishes those who have faith from those who do not have faith. In other words, the way God has designed faith is that faith cannot be faked. You can't pretend to believe and have faith. You can't cover the wool over God's eyes and make him believe something that's not so because you're going to have to evidence it before. The proverb writer says it well in chapter 3 and verse 5 of his book, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. God's design of faith puts man in the position of having to show his faith to God, subsequently himself. James says it this way, show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works, James 2 and verse number 18. If you have your Bible and you would be turning to the book of Joshua, the sixth chapter, we'll discuss and continue to discuss how faith works and what faith is. Our outline is the same. In fact, it'll be the same for the next several weeks on which we touch this subject whenever we're together. That is, there will be grace followed by commands. Those commands will have to be followed and enjoined by faith, and ultimately then there will be salvation or deliverance. We'll find the same thing here. First, there's grace. Joshua chapter 6, verse 1 and verse number 2. The Bible says, now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the sons of Israel. No one went in and no one came out. The Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given into thine hand with this king, or Jericho, into thine hand with this king and the valiant warriors. We refer to grace as a gift, and we see that word here in the text where God says, I've given it to you. They didn't earn it. They didn't merit it. It's a gift from God. I've given it to you. 
But as we said last week, let's say it again, grace alone cannot save. They don't have the city yet. It's amazing that we read in verse 1 and verse number 2 that God gave them the city, and yet they don't possess it. Grace is God's offer to man. And just because someone offers you a gift doesn't mean that you accepted the gift. You could reject it. In fact, chances are real good you have. Have you accepted every gift somebody has offered you just because they offered it to you? In fact, you've probably been offered at least a similar gift as I have, walking through a, a, a town where uh, a tourism is, is a huge part of the industry. You might be walking down the street and somebody say to you, hey, I'd like to give you three days and three nights to come back to this wonderful place. And you say, well, since you're giving it, I'll take it. And they say, all you have to do is give us nine hundred minutes of your time, I mean 90 minutes of your time. How many times have you walked away from that gift? How many times have you looked at your spouse and your spouse said, no, 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 no. But they'll give us $300. They'll give us tickets to the show. They'll get, no, I don't want your gift. Just because grace, just because a gift is offered doesn't mean it's accepted. When you're talking about God, he will give you things, offer you things, and it comes with his promise and assurance of his actions. But grace alone does not save because every time, with regards to the subject of salvation or deliverance, we find grace, we find commands immediately following. Grace teaches us how to have faith. It teaches us what God requires. Notice and begin reading with me at verse number three. You shall march around the city, all the men of war, circling the city once. You shall do so for six days. Also, seven priests shall carry seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. Then on the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the, the trumpets. It shall be that when they make a long blast with the ram's horns, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people will go up every man straight ahead. Remember that when God requires something, it's clear that it comes from God because it's not something we would have originated. It's why Scripture talks about it being the works of God. No great military leader would have ever come up with this plan. Can't you imagine being Joshua and saying, listen, huddle up everybody and tell them to come in. We're going to have a meeting. You can see it, can't you? All the leaders coming and all the people and Joshua telling them, now here's what we're going to do. And they're anxious. Okay, Joshua, you're the leader. You tell us. And Joshua says, now, now listen, first we're going to march around the wall one day. Can't you see yourself being one of those leaders saying, what? <laughs> yeah, that's what we're going to do. First, we're going to march around the city one time and one day. Okay, and then what? Oh, we're going back to the camp. 
what are we going to do next? We're going to come back the next day and we're going to march around again one time. We were, and then we're going back to the camp. I imagine that y'all might start looking at each other and not Joshua. Like, are you hearing the same thing that I, yes. And the third day, we're going to march around the city. And the fourth, we're going to march around the city. I mean, this is getting good, isn't it? This is exactly how you take it. That's the point. In Scripture, when you're talking about faith, you're talking about God and his ability. You're talking about trusting him. If it is a matter of faith, then it's what God requires, not what man originates. God does require us to do what he says, trusting him. There'll be no armaments here, no siege engines. We're not going to starve them out. We're not going to build moats around. We're not going to wait until they need supply. We're not going to shut off the water. We're not going to do any of that. No, because we're going to do what God says. The word salvation means deliverance. It's most frequently used with regards to sin and salvation, deliverance from sin. But the word just means deliverance, and so you could be delivered from anything, or in this case, something could be delivered to you. Well, that's what's happening here. The outline will be the same. No, there'll be a problem and punishment and people and a plan and a person and pardon. But you'll notice what God says. After grace is given, verse 1, verse 2, I've given you Jericho. How will you get it, though? There are commands. And you'll notice that the commands require things of the people. You shall march around the city. As we said last week, if God is specific, then we have to do what he says in the way in which he said it. After all, it's his salvation. It's his deliverance. And so, if he says march around the city, we march around the city. He says you're going to do that one time a day and then for six days. If he says six, he means six. If he says seven priests, he doesn't mean eight or six. They'll bear seven trumpets. On the seventh day, you shall march and they will blow seven times around the city, and the priests shall blow, and then the people will shout. Now, when you read all of that, the Bible says, and then, and the wall will of the city will fall down flat. Who's going to make the wall fall down? Well, that'll be God's part. Nobody actually believes that our shouting made the walls fall down. No one actually believes our marching. We march so well. We march so hard. We march in such that the, no walls falls down. Sometimes people say, well, y'all believe there's magic in the water. We don't believe there's any magic in the water. We don't believe that. We don't, no, God made the walls fall down. But he made them fall down because they did what he said. And that brings us to the third point. After grace, then there are commands, and then there's faith. Now, at this point, I need you to remember a week ago. (laughs) 
Sometimes it's hard to remember 10 minutes ago. <laughs> so a whole week is certainly difficult indeed. But to bring your, to, to, to jar your memory, you remember we gave two options of faith. So one, faith is, I believe God. In fact, that is largely what the religious world says. I believe Jesus. I believe, and that's it. In fact, they would argue that faith means I believe and then I do nothing. And that is generally the, the concept held by what is typically called Christendom. Uh, all of the religious people in the world, those who believe and profess that God is and Jesus is his son, this is their belief of faith. I believe, but I don't have to do anything. We said, now that's option number one, but option number two is I believe God, yes, but then I do whatever God tells me to do. Doesn't matter what it is. If it's his plan, if he said it, then I trust him and I do that. Now, we didn't say this last week, but let me say it now. The way to answer this question is not to go ask a preacher who believes this in the denominational world and then take what a member of the Lord's church, a gospel preacher says and take each one of them and array them and have them debate. That's not how you do it. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. If a member of the Lord's body were wanted to debate and they wanted and they had a discussion, and there's not one thing in the world wrong with that. Much good has been accomplished through the years. But if you're looking to answer the question, that's not how you do it. The way you do it is you take both of these positions and then you go to the Bible and you see if either of them is taught in Scripture. And whatever the Scripture teaches, that's what you believe. Now, you and I are in Joshua's army and we're standing outside of the walls of Jericho. Joshua has brought back the message from God. And God has told him what he wants done and what he wants us to do. And we see then what they did. We have grace in verse 1 and 2. We have commands, verses 3 through 5. Begin reading with me down at verse number 11, and let's see what faith is. The Bible says, so, so he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about it once. And they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. And the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord walked on. And they blew the trumpets continually, and the armed men were walking before them, and the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned into the camp. So they did for six days. On the seventh day, they rose early at the dawn of day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. At the seventh time, when the priest had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Slide down to verse number 20 and notice what the Bible says. So the people shouted. And the trumpets were blown as soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet. The people shouted a great shout, and the wall fell down flat. 
so that the people went up into the city, every man straightway before him, and captured the city. They did what God told them to do. And after they did what God told them to do, then God did what he promised them he would do. The question then is simply this, did they have to march around the walls in order for the walls to fall? If I stand here and say faith means I just believe, I don't do anything, well then they don't have to march around these walls. In fact, we should stop at verse 2 where the Bible says, see, I've given you Jericho into your hands. It's straightly shut up. I've given it to you. We should have packed up camp and went home then. Thank you, God has given us Jericho, and we believe it. But what would you do when after saying, I've given it to you, God follows up with now, march around the city one time a day for six days, and on the seventh day, march seven times, and then the seven priests blow the trumpets, and when they blow the trumpets, then the people, what would you have done with all of that information? Would you have simply said, well, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do what he says because we believe. Here's the great thing about your Bible. And friends, I pray, and I, listen, I'm, I want to absolutely encourage you to study the Bible for the right reasons. If you're, if you're studying the Bible because you think, well, God's going to punish me and I, I don't, I'm going to get it if I don't. Listen, that's not the reason to study the Bible. You need to study the Bible for your faith. You, you need to study the Bible so you can come to believe God and have faith in God and have a relationship with God. Get to know God. How can you trust someone you don't know? Sometimes we say to our young children, stranger, danger. Maybe people feel in danger with God because he's a stranger. If you don't know him, you can't trust him. How do you know him? He has given you his word to induce your faith. The Bible has this great way of being its own best commentary. One older preacher said to me one time, Eric, the Bible sure said, sheds a lot of light on those commentaries. Well, amen to that. You don't have to wonder what the Bible means because the Bible will so frequently explain itself. The subject of faith is touched in both covenants, and it's talked about a lot. And in Hebrews chapter 11, as we talked about Noah last week, Noah's in Hebrews 11. We don't have to wonder what the Scripture's position is on Noah. The Bible tells us. And the writer of Hebrews says of Noah, by faith, Noah being warned of things, of God, of things not yet seen, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. How was Noah saved? He prepared that ark. What if he didn't prepare it? He wouldn't have been delivered from the flood. Did Noah have to build the ark? I don't think anybody would say no. If he doesn't build that ark when the flood comes, Noah's outside of the ark because the ark's not built. But Noah did build the ark, and the Hebrew writer says he built it by faith. But you know who else is in Hebrews chapter 11? Joshua. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 30 records how the walls of Jericho fell. And the Bible says, by faith, 
the walls of Jericho fell down, and you'll want to underscore, highlight, circle the next word. After they were compassed about seven days. Which one is faith? I believe. Well, if you just believe and faith doesn't mean I do anything, then you can't march around the walls. But if, on the other hand, faith means I believe and then I do whatever he tells me. If I'm Noah, I build the ark. And if he's specific, I build it 30 by 50 by uh, uh, 300 by 50 by 30, and I put a door and a window where he said, and I seal it within without with pitch, as he said. And I make it three stories, as he said. If I'm Noah, what if I'm Joshua? Well, if I'm Joshua, I don't build a boat because it's always the same. First there's grace, then there's commands, and then there's faith. So if I'm Joshua, I march around the city one time a day for six days, and then seven times on the seventh day, just as he said. Noah wasn't saved uh, without that ark, and Joshua won't be saved without marching around this city. Joshua and Rahab are connected, and so we didn't talk about her, and she was in those passages that we missed with reference to her in chapter 6, but we'll come back the next time, Lord's will, and we'll talk about her. She was also justified by faith. Grace teaches us how to have faith, and therefore, when we find grace offered, we'll find commands to follow, and that's what God does with Noah and Joshua. It's also what he does with you. You know, ultimately, this series of sermons is about how we are saved under the new covenant. But the point is, and as we said, what the Bible teaches, it teaches consistently. And so, grace is always grace, and faith is always faith. And by the time we get to the New Testament, we argue over belief versus baptism, and really it's no argument at all because the circumstance has long been settled by by the Bible writers. By the God of heaven, faith is already established. Nobody's having that argument in the New Testament. If you will be saved, you will be saved by grace, followed by commands, and your demonstration of faith. God's grace is Jesus Christ. He's been given to the world. And God's commands through Jesus Christ is the gospel. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Your faith, then, is trusting God and doing what He says. And what has He said? He said you need to hear the good news because you need to learn it. John 6, 44, 45, the Bible says, It is written in the Scriptures, it is written in the prophets, they shall all be taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me, Jesus says. We have to hear and learn. That's how faith is produced, Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. In what, or rather, in whom are we to have faith? Well, you're having faith in God. You're having faith in Jesus. You believe that God sent Jesus and that Jesus is who He claimed to be. You know, we've talked about searching and and, and investigating, and you need to begin with creation. There is a God, and then you need to move to Scripture. It is inspired. And then within that Scripture, you need to move to Jesus. Is He who He claimed to be? 
He said he was God with us, Matthew 1, 22, 23. John says he was the Word made flesh, John 1, 14. He said, before Abraham was, I am. And if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and my Father are one, John 10, 30 and 31. We have to believe that. Jesus said, if you don't believe that I am, you will die in your sins, John 8, 24. That belief needs to move us to repentance. It's a change of mind. Change of mind about Jesus, change of mind about our lives and purpose and sin, change of heart, change of mind, going from disobedience to obedience. Jesus said, if we don't repent, we'll perish. We have to confess the name of Christ and be immersed in water for the forgiveness of sins. And then God, through Jesus, will save us from our sins. It's not belief versus baptism. It really is a matter of faith. I'll probably say this again in several weeks because I was going to actually try to build a, a lengthy demonstration of this very thing, but let me just say it now and hopefully, well, with your remembrance of being asked, did you remember a week ago? I like my chances of five weeks from now. <laughs> but it's really not. It's really not belief versus baptism. It, we, when we get to Mark 16, 15 and 16, and we say to people, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. We, we get bogged down right there, but the truth is we could, we could make that same analogy throughout all of these examples, and it would be equally true. Suppose I said, he that believeth and builds the ark will be saved. He that believeth not will be condemned. Or maybe he that believeth and marches around the walls, the walls will fall, will have the city. He that believeth not will not. But if we just say he that believeth and, is, friends, we've actually said nothing different. The only thing that changes are the specific commands that God demands at any point in time. If you were Noah, would you have built the ark? If you were Joshua, would you have marched around the city? If you're here today, would you be baptized? Friends, the thing that's going to keep people from going to heaven is not that they won't get baptized. It's that they won't evidence the faith to get baptized. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Faith does not mean I just believe and do nothing. Faith means I believe and I build the ark. I believe and I march around the city. I believe and I get baptized. If you've never done that for the reasons that God has enjoined, we beg you to do that before it's eternally too late. If we can help you or assist you in any way, friends, we invite you to come as we stand and as we sing.